Hi, I'm Sarah Shea. And I'm Strangely Duesberg. Welcome to the Pilot House. A podcast where we watch all the shows we missed the first time around. And try to figure out where the heck they were going with this. Doom, 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 doom. What do we know about Frasier? Obviously, we both have heard about Frasier and probably seen bits of it. We're not going into this completely blind like we have been with a lot of the other shows. But neither of us has ever watched a significant portion of Frasier. I, I would be willing to bet that I have at some point caught an episode on television, but like I, I know nothing about this show. I probably have heard... I've heard Matt Myra talk about this show on The Nerdist. Or sorry, excuse me. ID10T. Many times. Uh, and he seems to really, really love it. And since I really love him... I feel like there may be a connection. Uh, I vaguely seem to think that this is some sort of spinoff of Cheers. Is that a thing? Yes, it is. That is correct. It is a spinoff of Cheers. It's the longest running spinoff ever, I believe. Well, then. It certainly was at the time. I think it still is. Because it's 14 seasons and it started in 03. I did not look up either of those pieces of information. It sounds right. Yeah, I... Probably. I know th- it was at least 10 seasons for sure. But yeah, I, I know at least that Fraser Crane is a psych... Oh, now I'm going to say the wrong one. Psychologist. I'm going to go with psychologist, not psychiatrist. I might be wrong. With like a radio show. People call in. Yes. Uh, on Cheers, he was just a guy who hung out of the bar who happened to be... He was like this kind of upper class... British question mark? No, he's not actually British, but like... He's Brit-ish because he's classy. Yeah, I was thinking that he was British but or like raised in the US but had uh, British parents. But then on the show, his dad is played by John Mahoney. That's it. Ah, yes. He just passed away recently, which is super sad. Um, he was a delightful sort of character actor in a lot of things. But I know he was the dad... On the show, and he is like decidedly not British. So wasn't he the general in the Iron Giant? The one who's like, "Damn it, son!" Oh, if if he's not, it's someone very like him. But I would, yeah, it was probably him. The thing I mainly know him from is this ridiculous little independent film from like two thousand two thousand one called The Broken Hearts Club. Uh huh. It is a classic of like turn of the century gay cinema oh um it's just uh, <laughs> yeah it's a bunch of a bunch of gay guys in west hollywood who are all friends all work at this restaurant run by this older gay guy played by john mahoney and he is super into two things baseball and shakespeare and he wears hawaiian shirts and it's just delightful and he convinces all the guys on the team uh, on the yeah, who work at the restaurant to be on a like softball team, like a work softball team. Oh, fun! It's so cute. But like, the main thing is about these gay guys kind of like figuring out their lives, and like one of the main themes is like how much of my identity is wrapped up in being gay, and how much of my identity is just who I am as a person. Anyway, it's it's a delightful movie. It's kind of bad, but kind of good. Anyway, super off topic right now. What do we know about actual Fraser? Um. His brother is played by David Hyde Pierce. Uh-huh. Niles, maybe? Does it... I want to say his, character, his brother's name. Does it take place in Seattle? Yeah, it absolutely does. You knew that. Come on. Oh, 
I, I, well, I didn't know it for sure enough to be for sure about it. Okay. Well, we had <laughs> talked about this when we decided to do this show. We both realized right. how absurd we are both. I'm from very near to Seattle. Strange is at least from, you know, within driving distance of Seattle. We've both spent a lot of time in Seattle and have lived in this area almost our entire lives. And yet neither of us have, have ever really watched the most famous TV show ever set in Seattle. Like, I don't think they ever shot here. But it was said here. Where did they shoot? I guess we'll find out. I mean, they must have, yeah, they must have occasionally done like a location shoot in Seattle over the years, presumably. Bit of but one of the famous things uh-huh. about this show is that his apartment has a gorgeous view of Elliott Bay. Uh-huh. And to get that exact view, his apartment would have to be like in the middle of the bay. Like it's impossible to have the view that he has. Oh, is his from ap- the actual shore? His apartment is in the same building as Christian Gray's uh, penthouse. Yeah, pretty much. It's a gorgeous <laughs> view that you can't actually have. Uh, it's amazing. I've never seen it, but I've just heard that fact said that. Oh, you know, I think they used to. I think one of the things is they did used to shoot at Elliott Bay Books, uh-huh. or maybe they just referenced it. Now I'm not sure. I think they referenced Elliott Bay Books, which is a real place. I am excited to see how much actual Seattle stuff they work in. Who knows how much they'll get in in the pilot. Right. But one of the other, maybe the only TV show I've ever watched a significant amount of. No, two other shows set in Seattle I've watched a significant portion of. I watched most of the first two seasons of Grey's Anatomy for my sins. And I watched all of Dead Like Me, which was supposedly set in Seattle. Right. And with Grey's Anatomy, they can kind of get away with it because almost the entire show is inside the hospital. Right. And so Dead Like Me it's is uh, filmed in Vancouver. So at least they're in the right biome yeah. to be pretending Seattle. Oh, sure. But they were hilarious in their lackadaisical attitude to remembering that the show is set in Seattle. Yeah. Like. They very rarely referenced anything Seattle related. The very first shot, not just the first episode, but the first shot of the entire show is a shot of that building in Vancouver. The toilet seat coming down from space. Yeah. There's a building in Vancouver that has a a spire coming out of it that looks in shape, not entirely dissimilar from the Space Needle, but it's attached to a building and it's like half as tall as the actual Space Needle. Right. And they showed that in the very first shot. (laughs) Like, they weren't even trying. Like, y'all know that, like, stock footage exists. You could have gotten some stock footage of the Space Needle and then Just cut send to an intern. in Vancouver. It's two hours away. Send an intern. Yeah. <laughs> like, Come on, hilarious. Brian anyway, Fuller. And then they, they barely ever mentioned it. Like, one time they're like, oh, I got tickets to a Seahawks game or something. It, one time there was a bus. Uh-huh. Someone was waiting for a bus. And the bus stop sign was accurate. Yes. It blew my mind. I'm like, what a random tiny detail for them to all of a sudden get in the middle of the show. It was like season three. Suddenly, someone's waiting at a bus stop and they actually bothered to get the sign right. Like anybody outside of Seattle would know that one. But anyway, it'll be interesting to see how much real Seattle stuff is in this show. It's like uh, there's an X-Files title card that says something like Central Kansas. And it's like <laughs> lush pine forest. <laughs> Oh, good times. Uh, but yeah. back to Washington. I'm trying to think Frasier. of what else we know about Frazier. Oh, he has a child because uh. he has a wife on Cheers, uh, played by Phoebe Newerth, I think. 
suddenly I had a moment of questioning whether I was saying the right name. I'm definitely picturing the right actress, but if I'm saying the wrong name, that would be embarrassing. But I think that's her. Um, Lilith is the wife's name. I believe they get divorced over the course of Cheers. Uh-huh. Or between the break between Cheers and Frasier. So I, they are divorced as of Frasier starting. Maybe that's why he moves to Seattle. Ah. That's a good question, too. I don't know is, is, if the show starts with him having recently moved to Seattle. I guess we'll find out. But he has a child who I've heard people say on the internet, um, it's like kind of comical how little his child features in the show. His child appears twice in like 14 seasons. <laughs> oh my God. Like, you're a bad dad, Fraser. Yeah. Well, I mean, his and his child lives back in, I assume Lilith and the child still live in Boston, Chicago. Ooh, where's Cheerset? Uh, I can't remember. Well, it's, it's in a magical other country where everybody knows your name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I it makes sense that the kid's not around in every episode, but twice in 14 years is pretty bad. Well, I mean, he could just not be seeing his kid for that 23 minutes of his week. <laughs> right. The, just coincidentally, he's seeing his kid all the time and just never during the 23 minutes that the show covers. That's when he gets up to all his grown-up hijinks. I think we should go watch this thing. Yeah, I think we should too. Well, I, wait, I feel like there's like a couple other things. We got so off topic here, but it's, he has a radio show where he takes calls and he answers, he, he like helps to solve people's problems because he's knows about psychology yeah. and he's trying to help people out. So that's like the basic premise. And his he lives with his dad, I think, and in this magical great apartment. Oh, other fact that I know about it, the theme song, uh-huh. which is very famously has kind of nonsense lyrics. Yes. Apparently, the person who wrote the song was actually trying to write the song about the show. So if you actually follow his logic, the lyrics are about the premise of the show. It just sounds like nonsense because he got a little fun with it. It's not quite sit right back and you'll hear a tale of a fateful trip. He's a psychologist with a radio show (laughs) and he lives in a magical floating apartment (laughs) above Elliott Bay. Doom, 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 doom. (laughs) Close. I mean, the lyrics are like, Baby, I hear the blues are calling, toss salad and scrambled eggs. Apparently that was supposed to be him like, I hear people who are sad calling me on my radio show. And sometimes they're a little crazy, like toss salad and scrambled eggs. How crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is apparently, well, I don't know the lyrics beyond that, but that was his logic. So fun fact. I think now it's, this is ex- exhaustively everything I know about the show. Oh, there's a dog. There is a dog. His dad has a Jack Russell I Terrier, I think. there's a dog. I have also yeah, heard that. I'm excited. All right, let's check. There's a dog. We are both sure that there's a dog. Let us check this out. Here we go. (laughs) Frazier. He's a psychologist with a radio show, and he lives in a magical floating apartment above Elliott Bay. Doom, 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 doom. All right. (laughs) So we just watched Frazier. Now, what are our uh, hot takes and initial impressions? This was delightful. Really? Yeah, in a, like... I guess because I had, like, low expectations, but, like, once I got over the fact that this was a laugh track sitcom from the early 90s, mm-hmm. not the early aughts, as I mistakenly thought, the date that I had read on Netflix of 2004 was actually the year the show ended. It started in 1993 and ran for 11 seasons. You know, what's funny is when you said that earlier... I kind of went, oh, I don't know, because I realized I had no idea what year it started. However, 
I absolutely knew it was earlier than that. I don't know why I didn't think to go, well, I don't know what year it started, but it was definitely earlier than the 2000s. <laughs> like, I remember that show being on the air. I knew it was in the 90s. I don't know why it, I didn't say anything. Yeah, well, and I was a little confused for the first, like, five minutes of watching the episode. I was like, is this some, like, astoundingly twee Wes Anderson-esque family that is stuck in the 80s <laughs> with their suits and everything? But then I was like, no, no, this is definitely early 90s. I didn't even think about it until midway through the episode because I watched it and the visuals were just what I expected it to be because I remember seeing bits of it on TV. Mm -hmm. And then it was about midway through when I saw somebody in the background and thought, oh, what 90s hair. I went, wait a minute. Didn't the strangely say earlier he thought it was in the (laughs) 2000s? That's not right. Why didn't I correct him? I knew that. But yeah, it is astoundingly early 90s and astoundingly early 90s TV sitcom. Like, this is really the first show like that that we've watched for this. Yeah. And it's the first time I've watched a show like that in a very, very long time. And I just kind of forgot what that was like. You know, everything is is rushed along so quickly. I mean, this was 23 minutes. Yeah. I think this is the shortest episode that we've watched aside from, I think Degrassi was the same. Yeah, Degrassi was... I want to say about the same. Maybe Degrassi was a little longer than this. Yeah, but it was a Degrassi was a tedious twenty some minutes. This was a this breezy was twenty so some minutes. So breezy. <laughs> I was very charmed by the sort of the simplicity of the setup and the characters. Like, I don't know. A lot of the things we've watched have felt like these huge, massive universes that are being set up. Like even Degrassi. Oh yeah. Is dozens of i mean like over a dozen lead characters and i was like i you know we're calling them like objects and things like that yeah because we just can't keep them all straight there there were like four people of note in this episode yeah in degrassi there was a character that we never got a better nickname for than another brunette because we just ran out of energy for cute nicknames with this i remember every (laughs) character's name because there's only four of them basically five Six, if you count the 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 one character that we don't actually meet, just very yeah, very simple, very straightforward. Every character was kind of neat. I was a little annoyed because I had big questions about their little universe that uh, I thought could have been answered with a easy line of dialogue squeezed in somewhere. A well written line of expo log could have answered some of my questions, and I'm. Sh- Sure. Well, I guess you're never sure with these things, but probably my questions get answered later on in the show. And they were just, you know, trying to establish the basics for the pilot. But I had questions, which I will get into when we when we get into the synopsis. But yeah, overall, it was uh, it was exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> the 90s sitcom spinoff. I I was pleasantly surprised by how charmed I was <laughs> charmed. I was pleasantly surprised by how NCIS I was. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. So let's get to that synopsis. So we opened the show with Fraser Crane, our hero question mark. Uh, he is a radio psychiatrist in Seattle. I was wrong. I guessed psychologist in the intro. I am never able to remember which word is which in the moment. But uh, we established this by showing him in his radio station on the air talking to a person about their troubles. 
So real quick, it's established. Um, he takes a call from someone who is dissatisfied with their life. And that gives him a perfect excuse for a nice big chunk of Expo, where he describes his life back in Boston on Cheers, uh, says he was unhappy in his marriage, his practice wasn't going anywhere, all he ever did was hang out at a bar. <laughs> which He says it really dismissively, which seems like, hey, that bar was your job, it's the reason you got a spinoff, give it a break, buddy. Um, but he says uh, he moved back to Seattle, his hometown, in order to make a change in his life, which is such a perfect setup. Like, well done, whoever came up with, like, the pr- the prompt of this person's call right. that allowed him to explain, and here is where I've been since I left Cheers. It's funny because the this first scene was him on a radio station. I didn't realize that the laugh track uh, on Frasier was which is a a part of the mechanic of the show was actually a a laugh like that. This was a laugh track sitcom. And I thought he was doing some like asshole DJ morning shock jock thing where he was like talking to people and then like hitting buttons to make an audience laugh sound happen or like an applause sound happen. (laughs) Like he was like, thanks very much for your time. (laughs) Click. And then like a bunch of people laugh. And I was like, (laughs) what kind of show is this that this guy does? Like, it just didn't quite <laughs> register with me that I was watching a television program with a laugh track because I, I just generally don't watch those. Yeah. Well, they there's not many of them anymore. Right. People don't really do that anymore because it's awful. And it's really obvious, usually. I got to say, at least in this pilot episode, once I realized that the show had a laugh track, it kind of disappeared for me. Yeah. there was Which surprised me because oh, yeah. usually these are so in your face. A lot of times a laugh track is so tedious. With this, I more or less ignored it. There was only one time, which I've I've made a note in my notes that we'll get to. There was one time when I went, really. But um, yeah, it's kind of a perfect little setup. We get exactly what his job is and what he does and why he's there. So then we also uh, meet Roz, his somewhat mm-hmm. sardonic producer. We don't get a lot of Roz in the first episode, uh, played by Perry Gilpin, who has just the greatest name. I don't know why I love that name. <laughs> Perry Gilpin. <laughs> it's just real fun to say. Um, they have a little uh, exchange, which I think was mostly intended to be a joke, not at necessarily intended to establish something about him as a character. But she says, basically, he's not very good at his job. He's like, well, I thought that episode went well. What do you think? And she tries to change the subject. And he's like, come on, I can take it. Tell me how, what you thought. And she lists all the things he just did wrong, including spilling yogurt on the control board and mixing up the name of a caller who had an identity crisis. So, <laughs> And then it's a, it's a joke. He goes, oh, you said my brother called and runs off. So it's definitely played as a joke, but it should be established that he's definitely not, the character is not great at his job. No. It's not, it's not part of the character that he's the best ever at his job. So, which that's established. It's something that I really liked in this because there, the, there's a later scene of him on the radio that I, I thought had a lot more weight because he's not established as, as being this golden God of radio. Yeah. Yeah. Head talkiness, psychiatry, radio psychiatry. (laughs) Like, he's not established as being, like, the best at it. So when he has this really poignant moment on the radio later, I it felt it landed a lot better for me because I didn't see him as being, like, perfect at, at this job. Yeah, agreed. Before we go into the next scene, I just wanted to comment on the title cards that the show uses because oh, I yeah. thought they were really fun. The show just kind of white text on a black screen introducing almost like chapters. So the first one is The Job. 
And then uh, the second one is like the brother or the father or whatever. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed this conceit. It kind of, again, like I mentioned earlier, it almost felt like there was like this like sort of, I use the phrase Wes Anderson, like kind of like Mm -hmm. this like overly twee thing that actually charmed me. And these title cards were part of it because they just kind of set up. If it had just been yellow and sans serif, it would have been perfect. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But it just like, I don't know why it just sort of like it's it established these as almost like a series of interconnected vignettes Mm. in an almost like theatrical play kind of way, which I enjoyed. Yeah, I read it more as a sort of look, you know, this is a pilot. We know this is a pilot. We're introducing you to all the aspects of what this show is going to be. Here's the job that the main character has. Now here's the brother character. I Yeah, I, which I don't know if they continue that throughout the show or if that was just for the pilot. They at least continue it for the first scene of episode two because Netflix helpfully started playing it for me 10 seconds after I completed the first episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hurried to stop it before <laughs> it started. I was like, no, thank you. Well, also because I thought I was running low on time and I had yeah. to write up the synopsis and everything. Little uh, little spoiler there so, <laughs> for my final verdict. Moving into the the next scene, the brother. Mm-hmm. We meet Niles, who is Fraser's brother, and Fraser kind of has this sort of like nerdy, professorial kind of like intellectual vibe. His brother has that has more of like a Euro, uh, more of uh, you use the word effete and the word pretentious. Like he's he's got a very nice suit. Oh yeah. Fraser is in tweed kind of a thing, and his brother is wearing like a very well cut suit in the latest fashion. Mm-hmm. And they are uh, they're they're sort of catching up in this way that is sort of it's sort of adversarial, but also feels like a very comfortable rhythm right off the bat that they're sort of like taking these digs at each other. Oh, yeah. But props to these act like the, the casting here is fantastic because, oh, yeah, they're constantly digging at each other, but also seem to be happy in the sport of it. And you know what their relationship is like as brothers immediately as soon as Frazier opens his mouth the first few lines of dialogue are all Niles just establishing his character because he's telling a story about his gardener which includes a joke that nobody but the laugh track would get (laughs) I don't even remember what it was it was something about a zen garden in his yard I told the gardener, don't put in a zen garden if I wanted to spend hours raking rocks all day I'd move to Japan he, he doesn't say it's Japan, like, though. He says a specific city or something. And I went, I don't even get yeah. that joke. I, But the laugh track laughs as if a studio audience would have uniformly been like, ah, yes, we understand your reference, rich, pretentious dude. <laughs> but as soon as Fraser opens his mouth to join the conversation with his first line, you're like, I know what kind of brothers these brothers are. Before we get into the meat of this scene, I wanted to address that they start out the scene standing at the counter at the coffee shop. And when the the barista walks over to them and says, are you guys ready to order? Frazier orders two cafe latte supremos, which, what the fuck, that is not a thing, okay? A, su- a supremo? I was like, what does that even mean? I paused the episode and Googled that phrase. And a Google search for cafe latte supremo brings up exactly seven results. Uh-huh. You know how hard it is to come up with anything that only brings up seven results on Google, four of which were reviews of Fraser from the 90s. That's practically a Google whack. <laughs> uh, so I have to assume they use that phrase again in the show. One of which was the menu 
of a bakery in Alki Beach, which is in Seattle, which apparently calls their 20-ounce size a Supremo, uh-huh. I have to assume as an homage to Fraser. Like, that's got to that's be. That's amazing. Because I've never seen yeah. that before. Like, <laughs> it's it's short, tall, grande, and then what people call the next size up, a 20-ounce, varies. Like, venti is the Starbucks thing, so some people adopted that. But some places call it an extra large or an extra grande. I've seen a bunch of different things. I've never seen Supremo. I just had to address that. That is amazing. Also, as soon as they order their coffees, Niles there does this bit. It's a it's it's a surprisingly long, uh, speechless moment where Niles takes out a uh, handkerchief and fastidiously wipes down his chair before he sits down. <laughs> Although, whether it was because of germs or fashion is unclear. That's that's going to be up to the character's development to decide. So, this was this was a little string of moments that I really liked because they have this like biting back yeah. and forth dialogue, very brotherly. But then she says, "Are you ready to order?" And then Fraser orders for both of them without conferring with Miles and Miles doesn't have a problem with it. So it's like Niles. Niles. Sorry. 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 Sorry, Niles. Miles is the guy from Degrassi. <laughs> I know those two characters are very similar. Yeah, Easy yeah. to mix them up. Uh, and Niles doesn't mind that Fraser ordered for him. Mm-hmm. So like I enjoy that. And then Niles does the whole bit where he's wiping off the chair and then he offers like the napkin to Fraser, Like, do you want to wipe off your chair too? And not like, it was like, it was like, kind of like nice like way that Niles thought it was obvious that someone else would want to use it and Fraser's just like yeah no thank you yeah and I mean I have to express too it's not like you might see a chair in a public place oh it's got some crumbs on it and you might pick up a napkin and like flick the crumbs away he takes out it was a handkerchief or a napkin he wipes down the seat he wipes down the back it's like fastidious yeah. So right away we know that even though it's it's easy to tell right off the bat, both of these guys are pretty well off and sort of, I don't know, fancy for lack of a better term. Niles is in more of an effete, uh, fastidious, pretentious way. I guess they're both pretentious. Uh, Frazier is a little more of a, yeah, like a tweed wearing professor type of uh, pretentious. <laughs> then we get some expo log about... Fraser's new life and he talks about how now he lives in solitude and he misses his son back in Boston and kind of but he he says he loves the solitude he likes being alone yeah even though he misses his son it's kind of like it feels like mostly just kind of like hand wavy expo log to be like oh yeah there was a son back on cheers but he's not here now or whatever but that's the first of two mentions of the son I was surprised yeah I thought that was going to be a hand wave like Yes, he misses his son, okay? We're not, like, pretending the son doesn't exist. But he comes up later, and it's it's kind of heated. So. Yeah, well, j- just um, randomly, uh, while we are getting ready to record, I wanted to double-check a fact that I'll talk about later, and I saw that all the original Cheers cast do reprise their roles on Frasier at least once. Oh, of course. So, oh, of course. So You gotta. So, you gotta. Everybody's... Everybody's got to come to Seattle. Of course. That's what crossovers do. Yeah, which is... It's actually kind of unusual for a... Uh, or sorry, a spinoff to not have at least one other member of the other show 
in that first episode. You know, I feel like that happens quite a lot where in that first episode, you have somebody show up to be like, well, uh, have fun or whatever. I don't know. Like the very first episode of DS9, they shoehorned Picard in. Right. Because reasons. (laughs) Because you have to have him. It's a, it's a changing of the guard. You know, he has to kind of like, he had to give uh, Cisco kind of the old like, all right, it's your turn. Make it so. But yeah, I guess they did only have 23 minutes. But also as someone who hasn't really watched any of the the parent show, just kind of having this be its own contained thing. You've never watched Cheers? I have not. We we uh oh no, I'm being outed on the air. I've I've not No, I've, I'm just, I mean I've watched no, Cheers from time to time over the years, but I don't have any like understanding of its deeper Sure. Myth- mythos. Yeah, I mean I was, I don't have, I don't know everything about it. I've never watched it in order or anything. Right. But I used to watch episodes of it just randomly when they were on TV all the time. I seem to recall my parents really liked it, which is why I'm kind of surprised that we never watched Frasier. Yeah. Really? Like, I don't remember ever watching Frasier on purpose. I remember seeing snippets of it on TV when I was like changing channels or whatever. I don't remember ever consciously saying, ah, oh, yes, uh, an episode of Frasier. Let's watch this. Yeah. Which you'd think we would since we liked Cheers so much. But I guess what we liked about Cheers wasn't Frasier, clearly. Cheers was kind of not a thing in my childhood as well because, like, it it took place in a bar. Which, for my parents at the time that I was a child, it was like, oh, a bar means drinking, means other sinful behaviors or whatever. yeah. You know, having a conservative childhood. Sure. It's funny to to think about how they've lightened up now. But at the time, I do remember anything to do with alcohol was very suspicious. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that makes sense. So then Niles brings up some bad news. Their father, who's a retired police officer, due to his bad hip, has fallen uh, the day before, fell down in his bathroom and was there for quite a while until somebody stopped by to check on him. Yeah. And found him there. Like he references later that he was there for a day. Based on the character, I'm not entirely sure that it was an I entire was, day. But I think it was exaggerating. Sounds like quite yeah. a time. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was serious. He, he fell and he could not get up. Niles has a bunch of brochures for some retirement homes and they kind of talk about it, but you could sort of tell that neither of them really wants to send their dad to the retirement home. Niles actually is, uh, it's a fun little gag. Niles is reading a brochure and he says, uh, ah, yes, golden acres. We care. So you don't have to. And Fraser goes, does it really say that? And Niles says, no, but it might as well. Which is funny. I feel like that's kind of a nineties view of retirement homes because like it's pretty clear as the show goes on that both of them have money like a lot of money yeah and there are nice retirement homes out there you know there are retirement homes where the people who live there can basically feel like they still have their own apartment their own condo or whatever but there's staff on hand to help them if they have problems and there's built-in like social stuff to do like I don't think retirement homes are, are not universally depressing, at least not anymore. Maybe they still were in 93. Right. I don't know. I'm just I'm just picturing a specific retirement home literally in Seattle that we looked at for my grandfather that was like that those apartments were nicer than any apartment I've ever lived in, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They kind of talk about it some more and Niles essentially manipulates Frazier into agreeing to take in their dad. Yeah. Even though, like, Niles has an entire house. Right. And Frazier lives in an apartment. Or condo. Which we do later find out the apartment or condo or whatever at least has three Three bedrooms. bedrooms. So it's not a small place. It's huge. 
huge. Even by sitcom standards. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, and Niles has an entire house. It's like a TARDIS. Yeah. The TARDIS. On. It's like, oh, wait. Oh, yes, the apartment has a swimming pool down there, and there's the room where I make pies. <laughs> and like, like well, This is the costume room, and here's the library. Here's the engine room. We know that Niles not only owns a house, but it is a very nice house and a very big house, because his earlier story about the gardener, he mentions the morning room. I don't even know what a morning room is. I just know that fancy houses in, like, British period dramas have them. If you have a room in your house that you only use at a certain time of day, that's rich. That's a big house. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, you seriously can't take in your dad. He could practically have his own wing, it sounds like. <laughs> give him the morning room. And the, th- the secondary butler. Oh, no, we, c- we, c- we can't give him the spare butler. I need him to polish my golf clubs. <laughs> but we establish... <laughs> But we established that uh, he says, oh, well, he can't move in because he doesn't get along with Maris. Yes. They only refer to by her first name and almost awkwardly avoid saying that her relationship is to Niles. Like he says, oh, he doesn't get along with Maris. And Fraser says, oh, who does? And Niles is like, oh, I thought you liked my Maris. Like I'm waiting for, I thought you liked my wife or my fiance, my girlfriend, whatever. But he just says my Maris. And they pointedly don't say what their relationship is. And I went, Oh, maybe they're going to set up some kind of joke when they reveal her later. But A, they don't reveal her later. And B, in the very next scene, they offhandedly refer to her as his wife. Right. It was was just a bit of weird writing. Although I kind of, again, this sibling relationship, like Fraser reveals a distaste for Maris. Mm -hmm. But then when pressed on it, comes up with this really flowery explanation of like, Maris is like the sun, you know, that I admire from a distance. Except without the warmth. Like, <laughs> it's like he's he's making a dig. But again, it's like that that sibling feeling is really strong in the scene. Like, it's just an excellent scene for setting up the relationship between these two. Mm-hmm. As like sometime allies, sometime rivals, everything. Like, like you, I feel like you don't learn a lot of their history or current situation. But you learn a lot about the way that they will interact and the kind of forces that they will be in each other's lives through the show. Yeah. Which is a great setup in terms of introducing two characters. For sure. So uh, the next scene is move-in day at Fraser's hilariously spacious apartment, and we just have to stop and talk about the view. Oh, my God. The view. I seriously... I burst out laughing and immediately texted strangely. Ah, oh my God, that view. Like, it's worse than people ever said. Like, I must have been remembering that thing about floating in the middle of Elliott Bay from some other hilarious view from a movie or TV show about Seattle. This is like, that apartment would have to be floating in midair 700 feet above the Denny Ti- Triangle or something. Yeah. Like, they're, okay, guys, look, the Space Needle, it's it's kind of a big thing for tourism, and it's it was built in the 60s, okay? So it's not actually that tall. So there are laws. You cannot build over a certain height within a certain radius of the Space Needle. So it stays looking tall. That building could not legally exist, and it certainly doesn't actually exist. But also, the, I don't think that view even exists. I don't think that's a real photo. I think it's edited in some way. Yeah. Like, the Space Needle looked too close to the buildings behind it. Yeah, it was very it looked, odd weirdly big and then they they you could practically see the whole thing yeah, and then they went ahead and like pointed out he's like there look the space mm-hmm. needle they like 
it it was just like they were so yeah excited about their 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 faux needle like yeah that they had to point at it and his and his dad says like gee thanks being born and raised here I wouldn't have recognized it so he points out that that was a ridiculous thing to say but it was. It was a really ridiculous thing to say. Like, he could have said, hey, what do you think of that view, Dad? You can see the Space Needle. And that is notable. You can't see the Space Needle from a lot of views and apartments in Seattle. But no, he says, that's the Space Needle. Like, they were both supposedly born and raised in this town. And he's like, that's the Space Needle. Like, some kind of tourist who's excited to see it. I, that was... Clearly not written by someone from Seattle, basically. <laughs> and it's honestly, it feels like putting it so prominently in the view from his apartment, which we're going to see yeah. every episode of this show, probably for a decent chunk of the episode. Presumably a lot of it takes place in that apartment. Right. It's like they thought nobody would know that they were in Seattle unless they showed it. Despite the fact that in this episode, at least... They have already explicitly mentioned that they're in Seattle, mentioned the Seahawks, and shown them in a fancy coffee shop. So they're really yep. just hammering it down. Like, you guys, we're in Seattle. Please believe it. It is very similar to that phenomenon that the Eiffel Tower is visible from every shitty apartment in Paris. Every single one. Right. <laughs> oh, bet. I bet it's just comical being from Paris and seeing any movie or TV show that even shows a scene where someone's in Paris. It's got to be ridiculous. We get it so rarely with Seattle. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we start the scene with Fraser playing piano because he's fancy. Yeah. And it's a grand piano because he's rich. <laughs> even by sitcom standards, this apartment is ridiculous. It's huge and spacious. It has three bedrooms and a grand piano. I just... It's ridiculous. <laughs> so then Niles walks in with Dad, and it's clear right off the bat, Dad is not happy about any of this. Uh, Martin is Dad's yes. name. But Frazier is at least trying to put on a happy face. And we learn um, kind of through a little bit of expo log that Dad is a sort of cantankerous blue-collar guy in contrast to his two affluent, cultured sons, although we never get any explanation about that difference. That was one of my kind of complaints about the show that they they really hammer home how different the sons are from the father but like yeah but but why though why both of them there's not even one half of a mention of dad saying i knew i shouldn't have sent the two of you off to that fancy boarding school like your mother wanted i don't yeah. know one line of dialogue could have given at least a hint we could have but it would have been very easy to sort of establish a reason for this difference but it again yeah. like you said it might be something that is established later on i'm just surprised we didn't get a single line and fraser kind of sketches his dad's personality pretty quickly by going well i have your favorite beer in the fridge and you know microbrews weren't cool yet in 1993 so i'm sure fraser only drinks wine and cocktails or something like that so beer in the fridge plenty of hot links and i rented a charles bronson movie so in like one line he kind of goes and this is what my dad is like yeah and yet despite that he then immediately tries to like impress his dad by pointing out all of his designer furniture like he's got an eames chair and he says this couch is an exact replica of the one coco chanel had in her french uh, uh, paris uh, atelier atel he, yeah fancy word for apartment i guess and i'm like did you actually think your dad would be interested, much less impressed by this information? Or are you just trying to make conversation? What is going on? <laughs> but uh, dad is obviously not impressed uh, because the very next thing that happens is he has his favorite chair delivered, an old beat up easy chair. It's got 
duct tape on it. It's like a really ugly orange and green and yellow plaid. It's really, really beat up. It's uh, perhaps even a little over the top. And Fraser is immediately like, oh, heavens, you're throwing off my design scheme, my feng shui. Which he doesn't actually. Fr- well, <laughs> which this the the like kind of, I guess, like asides and physical bits through this whole sequence, again, were something that really charmed me because the dad's kind of coming in and like he, there's a really lovely moment where he puts his foot up on the table and his foot knocks something spinning off the table, which Frazier dives and catches just in time like this, like. Really well. Yeah, some little glass. Yeah, a little glass something. And then when his dad puts in his armchair, uh, he he reclines it and it like knocks into another little side table and everything. Oh, and he he has the guy put it facing directly at the TV. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He says, where's the TV? And Niall says, inside that credenza. And he goes, well, point it at that thing. That thing. (laughs) I I don't know what a credenza is. And the the uh, there's that. That whole thing where Fraser has all this designer furniture, but it doesn't match along a consistent theme. Like, it's all a lot of really nice stuff that, like, doesn't quite fit together. They say that as as part of a joke, and I was like, I don't know, it looks like it more or less all matches to me. I mean, right? it's not, like, notably unmatching. Yeah, it's... But it's part of a joke, because he goes, oh, Dad, it's a design style. It's eclectic. As long as each piece is good, it kind of all just goes together. Right. And then he tells his dad, oh, I don't know if your chair goes with this apartment. And his dad goes, yeah, it's a collector. <laughs> okay, John Mahoney is just absolutely balls to the wall, blue collaring it up as hard as he can with the way that he talks. He's so coarse. I It was even more than I was expecting. And I, I enjoyed it, but it was like, whoa, he is really trying to show us just how blue collar yeah. he is. Which is interesting because, fun fact, John Mahoney is British. Really? No wonder he's having such an enjoyable time hamming it up as a blue-collar American. He did come to the U.S. at 18 and go to college here, so he's he's certainly been here for a while, but... uh, Oh, gosh, this next bit is... God, so dumb. I think this is my favorite bit in the episode. I thought it was so pointless. Like... So after the whole debacle with the chair, Niles leaves. And as he's leaving, he goes, oh, by the way, Dad, did you tell him about Eddie? And Frazier goes, Eddie? <laughs> and Niles goes, bye, pulls the door closed. And I immediately was imagined like <laughs> I wanted Niles to like rev up an electric uh, carving knife. Like that's a rather tender subject. <laughs> no, Rocky Horror? All right, just me. But the very next thing, they have this absolutely absurd exchange it's the kind of conversation you usually run into in a newspaper comic strip that's been running for so many years that the writer doesn't know how to talk like people anymore right like it makes no sense they're trying to work towards a joke and they don't know how to get there so they make the people talk like non-humans would people who would never talk to get there and the joke is that eddie is of course the dog but they want to like fool us and make us think Eddie's a person for some reason. And the way they accomplish this is Fraser goes, no, not Eddie, which if his dad owned a dog, presumably he would have, they would have already had this conversation about whether Eddie was joining them or not, whether Eddie was moving in or not, that would have already happened. And his, and Martin goes, what? He's my best friend. And Fraser's like, but I don't like him. He's weird. He always stares at me. And he's like, ah, you're just imagining it. And he goes, no, I am putting my foot down. Eddie is not moving in. And here's the thing. 
if this was an actual person, like his dad's actual best friend, why would it ever be on the table for him to move in? Why would that even be suggested? <laughs> like, that's absurd. I don't know. It's possible they could have made this joke work with different dialogue of like, <laughs> no, I don't want Eddie ever setting foot in this house or something rather than saying he's not moving in. And then the very next shot is Eddie's there. They're all watching a movie and Eddie's on the couch just staring at Fraser. Like his master's voice. I don't know. It was like so just a I guess it was a very 90s sitcom kind of joke. I am a fan of the no. I say I'm putting my foot down. We are not going to do thing. Immediately they are doing the thing. That, see, it's so cliche. I kind of enjoy it. I think that mechanic that you just referenced is why I love the joke so much and why it worked for me. Because I, for some reason, was like, Eddie, like thinking like, is this his dad's old war buddy? Like, who is this? Like, I totally was like, oh, like Eddie is a person. And then it cuts to the Jack Russell Terrier, who is like the dog of the show. And I was like, oh, my God. I I am not ashamed. To, it worked for me. I'm sorry, but it, it did. It actually worked for you? What? Didn't you think it was weird when he said, Eddie is not moving in? Didn't you go, wait, why would Eddie be moving in? Didn't that seem weird? I, I don't know why it didn't register for me. Maybe it's just because I'm really tired today, but it just like totally worked for me. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> happily like, oh, you got me. Eddie's a dog. I knew as soon as they said Eddie, I went, oh, that must be the name of the dog. Because I knew there was a dog coming right. somewhere. Although you never know with a show like that, the dog couldn't have, sh maybe the dog wouldn't show up for like a season or something. But when they said Eddie, I went, I bet that's the dog. And then immediately I was like, what are we? Oh, we're pretending it's a person. Wait, why? So it's about a week later. Frazier is, meets up with Niles at the coffee shop and he is just like, whipped up into a 90s sitcom tizzy. And he's like, oh, I'm so, so I haven't slept in weeks. Everything's happening. Oh, I don't know. My space is being invaded. And then I'm worried what he's up to. And dad started a fire in the kitchen. Of a, I need to calm down. Uh, give me a double espresso. Yeah. <laughs> Which like, I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> he's obviously not enjoying the experience of living with his dad. Things are not going smoothly. They are not. His whole life has been upended and he's almost ready to start reconsidering retirement homes again. Yeah. He's like, do you still have those brochures? And Niles is like, yeah. There's that weird joke where Niles goes, of course I still have the brochures. You know, Maris is five years older than me. <laughs> like, he's already, he's holding on to brochures because... He's concerned about having to put his wife in a retirement home because she's five years older than he is. Yeah. Which I guess is just Niles is a weirdo. Yeah. I, it was one of those things where I'm like, is this supposed to be you like making a joke or is this supposed to be this character is really weird? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I feel about it because a bunch of recorded people laughed at it. <laughs> So I don't know how I should feel about it. The show clearly intended it to be a joke. Indeed. Because <laughs> they because they wrote insert laugh track in the script or whatever they do to indicate where jokes are. Yeah. But then before Frazier and Niles can really delve into the retirement home subject, Niles kind of changes the conversation and kind of steers it in a new direction where he says, like, uh, we're willing to help you pay for an in-home care person, mm -hmm. someone to come and help cook and clean and take care of your dad when you're away and, and so on. And Frazier says, these angels exist. Like, in this totally defeated way. And it, 
like there were a couple of lines like this in the show that I laughed so hard at. That was one. <laughs> and when the dad says something about, I want to plug in my armchair and Fraser goes, oh yes, that would be the crowning glory. Oh, he says, of your I have to plug in my armchairs to activate the vibrating part, which is such an awkward way of describing. It. Yeah. And then, yeah, then Fraser's response to that about like, oh yes, that would be the crowning achieve the crowning glory of this room. I don't know why, like the really dry responses from uh, Kelsey Grammer just slayed me. I don't like, I don't know why I've not really found things like this funny before, but this in particular just slayed me. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if I laughed in, in earnest genuinely at any line on this show. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did very much. So they sort of have this back and forth and, uh, Niles says, yeah, we'll help you. They do. There's an agency. I'll call the agency. I'll set up some interviews and we'll help you hire somebody. Yeah. So, they part ways with Niles promising to send some people over. And then they, they end that scene actually with an odd joke that gives us another little tiny, tiny sliver of information about their kind of childhood or their mom and who she was. The mm-hmm. mom is, oh, I think this is the only time the mom is mentioned, in fact, in the show, which we, we just assume the mom passed away. Oh, yes. But we don't actually know that for sure. They never mentioned, well, ever since mom passed away or something. It This is the only time the mom is mentioned, which is Frazier is overwhelmed with relief at the idea of being able to pay a person to deal with his dad's shit. And <laughs> possibly literally, I have worked as a home care aide. I know how that works. Anyway, he says this thing about, oh, I'm, I feel so happy or relieved or something, I almost feel as if I want to hug you. Yeah. And Niall says, well, remember what mom always used to say, a handshake is as good as a hug. (laughs) Which is like, it's not even a cute wording for that sentiment. It's just, please don't touch me. (laughs) Yeah. Basically. Um, And Frazier just goes, wise woman. And they shake hands very formally on the deal, which Gives a little more information maybe about why the two of them turned out the way they did, given what their dad is like, but creates a very interesting and curious picture of what their parents' marriage must have been like. Yeah. Again, it was like one of those moments that utterly charmed me because I was like the weird, odd, stilted formality of the dialogue, particularly between Frazier and Niles, makes a lot more sense knowing that like they were raised in this home where their mother is like, oh, no, a handshake will do. We don't yeah. need to hug. <laughs> we don't hug in this household. Like, I'm four, yeah. Mom. I what? skinned my <laughs> knee. I just... <laughs> just want a hug. Yeah. Trying to imagine that it does explain, like I said, more about how the two of them turned out. But yeah, trying to imagine their dad in that scenario. Yeah. Not that he's super uh, demonstrative. He seemed like he could also be a kind of like, uh, we don't hug person. But in a very... He wouldn't have said a handshake is as good as a hug. Yeah. He would have said something like, eh, men don't hug or something. I don't know. Uh, we move on to the next day where Fraser is saying goodbye to a candidate for their in-home care person who is obviously very impressive and capable. We just see the back of the woman's head. She has no lines. But Fraser just says, well, I don't think I've ever been more impressed by a human being before. Thank you for coming. Closes the door and then turns to his dad and goes, what the hell was wrong with that one? <laughs> 
So immediately we figure out they've already interviewed a few people and dad has rejected them all for probably increasingly ridiculous reasons. The last person he says, eh, she was casing the joint. She was going to rob you. And Fraser's like, she spent two months working with Mother Teresa. So, you know, they're depicting this woman as like basically a saint. Well, then Mother Teresa should check her jewelry box. Exactly. Then we establish, all right, well, no, knock on the door. He says, well, this is the last one. Could you at least try to keep an open mind for this one? And they open the door and meet the final candidate, who is a wacky English girl named Daphne. I initially wrote Cockney. But then I thought, I don't think that's actually the right accent. So I looked it up. Uh huh. And she says she's from Manchester, but I didn't think that necessarily meant she was doing the right accent. And people online apparently complained, and apparently British critics gave her a hard time about her accent. Now, the actress, Jane Leaves, is English, but she is from the north of, uh, she's from the south of England. Whereas Manchester is more north. Yeah. And apparently she was doing a kind of broad, general northern accent. Um, yeah. Some people said more like Yorkshire yeah, than, uh, it, than a, a Mancunian accent would be. Right. It's a lot like the Yorkshire kind of like, oh, right, sir, so I'll help you. Like, kind of like the farmer accent, well, which is. Caught me with me and in the biscuit tin, yeah. is what she says yeah. when he opens the door. Oh, yeah, I ain't dropping no eaves, Mr. Show. Gandalf. I ain't dropping no yeah. eaves. My my, I, I gotta say though, this was my favorite scene in the whole show. He opens the door on her, and she's adjusting her boobs inside her bra, which realness, and then goes, "Oop, cut me with me end in the biscuit tin," which I am absolutely gonna use that phrase. Oh, although I I adjust my boobs without even caring about it all the time. I don't care if anybody sees me with my hand in the biscuit tin. It's just life, guys. Which. I had a wonderful time with the accent that she was using because even though it was sort of a very broad caricature, it would be the equivalent of an American character showing up on a British show being like, tell you what, ever since I came over here, I've done seen some weird things because the yeah. the sort of northern, sort of broad northern accent is sort of viewed that way among the English accents. It's sort of someone like, oh, hello, is like, I've I've seen yeah. British comedians do entire half-hour sets just based on the joke of like, what if Einstein had a northern accent? Would we think he was smart? Like, <laughs> right. So relativity is a theory. What I come up with. Um, <laughs> oh my god, that's reminding me now. There's an Eddie Izzard bit. He he does a Welsh accent and does some describes some famous. Yeah person like some very intelligent thing with a Welsh accent it is delightful anyway but here's an interesting thing John Mahoney originally from Manchester uh-huh. so um you think he maybe could have given her some tips but she was from England so maybe he was like eh, she knows what she's about based on the the overall wackiness of the character her having kind of a broad pan northern slash cheap side mm-hmm. English accent Combined with all the weird other quirky oddities of her, I, I I immediately was just like, this woman is crazy. Yeah. And like she is the the uh, the inciting incident of whimsical fuckery for this show. Yeah. Like many of the plots are going to revolve around her whimsical fuckerying something and then having to fix it. I absolutely 100 percent did not have an issue with the accent. I only went. Yeah. Oh, how do I describe that? I only looked it up when I was typing up my notes and I went, how do I describe this accent? I'm going to look it up and see, because she said Manchester. I'm going to see if that's accurate. Right. But I think it immediately conveyed a sort of, 
I am not a saint who spent two months working with Mother Teresa and has an impressive resume. Like, yes. I am a little bit goofy. Definitely. And the only really interesting thing about that is that apparently the intenseness and like wackiness of her accent faded throughout the show. They were really trying to like hammer it home for the pilot, but it sort of faded until by the end of the show, apparently she was just using her normal acting accent, which at least one person online referred to as RP, which is received pronunciation. It's the way people talk when they do Shakespeare. I doubt she was getting quite that. Right. Like, Oh, Fraser, what do you want for breakfast today? I don't think she quite went into RP, but apparently she just went with her kind of normal London theater accent. <laughs> That's called RP? I never do that. Oh, yeah, received pronunciation. I just thought that it's was like... It's a particular like... accent that people are taught. In my head, that's just Julie Andrews talking. No, it's that very specific, like, when you imagine people being Shakespeare-y. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's too, too yeah. solid flesh would melt. That is RP. I'm glad you could learn something today. I've learned something today. You've been to England so many more times than I have. And somehow, I do not, I knew something that you didn't. I'm very yeah, pleased. I, well, to be fair, all of my time in England has been en route to somewhere else. I haven't spent a lot of time there. Oh, okay. I've been there many times. I've been in Scotland much more than I've been in England. And I've never been to either. Boo. But anyway, uh, she is quickly established as sort of messy, uncultured, a little bit weird. She thinks she's psychic. Uh, She compliments the dad's ridiculous chair and kind of makes a slight diss at the rest of the furniture. So obviously she is not impressing Fraser even a little bit. Uh, He practically tries to show her out immediately, whereas uh, Martin offers to hire her on the spot. Martin loves her right away. Of course he does. And honestly, I think half of what he likes about her is that she, Fraser clearly doesn't like her, and he's just being obstinate yeah. at this point. But uh, <laughs> they have this weird thing where she's like, I'll go into the bathroom so you guys can have a chat, and then they have an argument about, no, you can't hire her. She's unfit for the job. I don't like her. And the dad's like, well, she's so supposed to only be here when you're not. She's supposed to be here to like kind of watch after me while you're at work. So why do you care? And Fraser goes, eh, good point. I guess if you like her, that's what matters. So he then brings her back in from the bathroom and goes, all right, you've got the job. And she goes, oh, that's excellent. And then immediately reveals she thought it was a live-in position. Now that's obviously a problem and a way bigger problem than they presented as. They just presented as Fraser going like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't, we, yeah. Sorry, we can't do that. You're you're unfit again. I'm back to thinking you're not fit for the job. Which, like, in hiring a person to live in your house is a completely different undertaking than hiring them part-time to come to your apartment a few hours a day and look after your ailing dad. Like, that's just such a different proposition. You, w- you really would need to interview someone a lot longer. You're basically bringing them to be a roommate. Yeah. Like... They didn't interview her as long as I would even interview a roommate, much less someone who I was going to pay to do anything. Yeah. They end up uh, having this big fight. They send her home and he says, we'll call you. And Fraser and Martin have this huge fight where Fraser doesn't want to hire her at all. He certainly doesn't want to have to give up his study. This is the best part. I thought it was going to be an issue because he didn't have another bedroom. No, he has a fucking study. Yeah. Like, he says, you want me to give up my study where I read and have all of my most profound thoughts? And John Mahoney's like, eh, just do it on the john like the rest of us. (laughs) Which was a good line for him. It was a good line for him. Yeah. But it's like, I'm distracted now because I'm like, 
How did you fucking afford? I know that apartments are always super spacious on sitcoms because they had to have places to put the cameras and everything. But like how three bedrooms, I don't care how spacious it is. Three bedrooms in like effectively downtown Seattle, even in 93. Like, good Lord, where where did this guy's money come from? Because then my brain starts going, yeah, where does his money come from? He already established that he's not he's a radio DJ. They don't get paid that much. He not a DJ, but he establishes that his practice back in Boston wasn't going that well. Yeah. He just moved, which that's expensive. He is divorced and his uh, his wife is taking care of their child, so he's got to be paying child support. Like, how does this guy have this much money? Also, Niles obviously has an absurd amount of money. Where is this money coming from? Presumably not from their family, because not from their dad. Was their mom... From a rich family, I just ended up getting super distracted by the economics of this family yeah. when I was supposed to be focusing on this argument. But they have this big argument where uh, dad is complaining that he's not, you know, listening to him what he wants. Fraser yells at him. Finally, Fraser lets slip that having his dad there, he calls it a burden that has basically ruined his plans that he had for this new life that he was building in Seattle. And this is the moment where Fraser mentions. I, I moved here. I'm separated from my young son, which is horrible enough. And I'm like, then why did you move across the country, bro? Like, he never establishes why he wanted to move to Seattle. I mean, it's where he grew up. Kind of like back to his family, but then it doesn't really seem like he's eager to reconnect with his dad. But it, it does seem like he's really reconnected with his brother pretty quickly out the gate. So, like, maybe it's the... Yeah, even though they have a sort of relationship it's a tense relationship that they both clearly enjoy it seems to me anyway yeah it's not even tense actually it's a very easy going sort of spatting that they do yeah so but he never says why he wanted to move to seattle all they had to do was say like that he got offered this job or right. something and decided to move back but it, it seems weird that he he mentions twice how horrible it is to be separated from his child when it's like I mean, I know you said you wanted to move because you weren't happy with your life in Boston. You wanted to change things up. But like moving to the other end of the country from your child is a pretty drastic move. It is. Anyway, they end the fight with dad saying, well, I had plans too." you know, getting shot in the hip during a robbery right before my retirement ruined all of my plans, much less now having to move in with my son. So, you know, I had plans too, and and you're not considering that, then Frazier actually gets quite emotional. Uh -huh, it's kind of a good uh -huh. acting moment for Kelsey Grammer, surprisingly, where he gets a little teary, where he says, I still made the decision. I said, I want you to move in because you're my dad. Yeah. And he says, I'm trying to accommodate you and you're not meeting me halfway. And he actually says, you know, I, I did all this to bring you into my life and no one has thanked me. And then there's this tense moment where they stare at each other and he's waiting for his dad to say thank you. Yeah, he's like, all you have to do is say thank says, you. Yeah. And finally, Martin just says, come on, Eddie, it's your dinner time or something. And Frazier storms off and says, I'm going out. I loved this scene because I, this is, again, like one of the things about the show that just surprised me was that, the, you know, the shows had this like goofy, wacky misunderstandings and all this stuff and the, the whimsical fuckery of the new uh, live-in housekeeper or whatever, you know, with laugh tracks and everything. And then this scene comes along and 
it's really intense and it feels really raw and emotional and honest. And the acting is really great from both of them. Yeah. And there's no laugh track and there's no like audience noises going, oh, or anything. there's no music or anything. Yeah. They just let it be this like little vignette of two people being like completely at odds and not finding common ground, not being able to find that common ground, which wasn't a, a remarkable amount of restraint for this type of show, at least based on my experience of this type of show in other places. Yeah. You know, there was no like wacky, goofy joke at the end. It was just like, it just ended really harsh. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think really set up the next scene really well. Yeah. <laughs> where we, we, we do get kind of a, a joke release right after this in the beginning of the next scene Fraser's back at work the next day and he comes like dashing down the hall, dives behind his desk up to the microphone just in time to go, we'll be right back after these further messages or whatever, like like a radio thing. And, and he kind of makes a crack about like, can I just record that on tape? And the bathroom's really far from my desk or whatever. Like, yeah, having like spent some time in like sm smaller radio stations and things like that, where they're, it's like you could just like set this up somehow. Yeah. But, like, having people, like, wave their arms frantically just so that someone could be like, it's 1.01 p.m. and you're listening to call letters. Yeah. Like, couldn't you just drop that in? Why did I have to run across the room to a mic to say that? Yeah, yeah. Frazier is, like, still irritable about his dad's situation. And then Roz tries to cheer him up by telling him this story about this, like, failed actress back in the day in Hollywood who she she just wanted to be remembered and she felt like she wouldn't be remembered for her films. So she decided to commit suicide in this really uh, curated way and like this beautiful white sheets on her bed and everything. But then uh, the pills that she took didn't agree with her so well uh, in combination with like she had an enchilada or yeah, something. some wacky thing she ate for dinner and then yeah and so she died she died like with her head in the toilet because she'd been vomiting yeah and fraser's like like why 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 are you telling me this that's not supposed to make me feel better yeah and and then roz is like but we're talking about it right now you're never gonna forget that story yeah she just wanted to be remembered she <laughs> and she is which I was wondering, I forgot to look it up, but I don't think the actress is real, but I was wondering if that was based on a... A real story. Yeah, I don't think the name the name of the actress, I don't. I didn't recognize. I don't re recall that being a, an episode on the You Must Remember This podcast. Oh, I was just about to say, somebody tweet Karina Longer. Uh -huh. <laughs> I doubt if Lupe Valdez is real. Oh, this is why we're friends. Yeah. We make the same references. They uh, Then they, they go to the first call of the day. <laughs> Which turns out to be Martin calling in. And Fraser's dad calling in. I, like, not going to lie, got a little bit, like, like this little tightness in my chest. Because I was like, are they really going to do this? And I, I just didn't trust. I still was like, this is a sitcom. I don't trust them to play this as reserved as it needs to be to feel really real. But then mm -hmm. Fraser just acts like he kind of rolls his eyes a little bit. Like, oh boy. But then he just talks to his dad like he's a normal caller. And they have a conversation that that walks a really fine line between being like kind of funny, but also being like honest and there's a tenderness to it. Yeah. 
that Frazier like opens up and it's, it's something about like the distance of his dad talking about his son as kind of this, like outside of their own, they can both pretend to not be talking to directly to each other. Yeah. And it's like this mechanism by which this blue collar man can open up. And I also mentioned earlier that like, I liked that Frazier was not established as being like the best at talking to people about their feelings over the radio, because when this moment comes up and he manages to sort of navigate this emotional minefield with his father, it feels really earned. Like the tension of, is he going to be able to do this or is the dad going to get mad and hang up? Like it feels, it feels really earned, uh, like an earned achievement for Frazier because he's established as someone who, couldn't just sail through this with his eyes closed. It is a nice kind of moment. They do have a few moments where they make a joke. They squeeze some jokes in there too, but yeah. overall it's them basically talking about how they feel about the situation by saying, well, my son is, yeah. oh, well, I'm sure your son feels this way about it, you know, and well, I know it's hard sometimes to say the way that you feel, you know, between fathers and sons. Yeah. They have that whole conversation and it's it's actually very nice. And then right at the end, he says, thank you, Dr. Crane. And he goes, of course. And he goes, did you hear me? I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yes, yes, I heard you. I heard you. And it's 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 a cute. It's a cute moment. Yeah. And then the the end of the show wraps up with a nice message that actually really works. Yeah. Like better than I would expect for, for a, a 90 sitcom pilot. Right. Cause the next call is a woman who calls in and she's dealing with a, a breakup. Uh, and Frazier, it's almost like he's had a personal breakthrough because the advice he gives her is just as helpful for her as it is for him. in kind of this idea of moving on and sort of seeking a new thing. Yeah. You have to let go and move on because he says in, he ends up quoting exactly what Roz said to him yeah. at the end of this ridiculous story about the actress. She goes, you know, just because things don't turn out exactly how you planned doesn't mean that they can't be positive in the end because, hey, Lupi Valdez was still remembered, even though not in the way that she expected. Right. Um, and so he says to this woman, word for word, the way Roz said to him, he says, because just because things don't go according to plan doesn't mean that you can't still get what you want in the end or what what's best for you or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, that's the kind of the message of the episode. And, and it ends with him saying, have you ever heard of Lupe Valdez? And it's like, oh, he's about to tell the freaking wacky story. I got to say, at least in this in- initial episode, I don't know how the relationship develops over the show, but I enjoyed the sort of like, the very professional like working relationship that he has with Roz. Mm-hmm. He, he wants her approval and asks for her opinion and, and is clearly paying attention to the things she says Yeah, in a way that even a, I feel like a male female dynamic in a workplace, even in the early nineties would not always have had. I liked it. Yeah. I liked that. I didn't feel like, Oh, why are you talking to, why are you treating your producer like your secretary or whatever? Yeah, that was good. We don't get a lot of Roz in the episode, but I mean, we never even meet Maris, who presumably is going to be a character on the show. Right. Whereas with Roz, at least, we get, uh, you know, she has a name. She gets to have a certain amount of screen time and spoken dialogue. And, you know, Fraser obviously respects her. They don't have like a, she's not depicted as like, 
hassling him or being really bossy or something like that. She's pretty chill and easygoing, but she also yeah. tells him the truth. She's not, you know, yeah. she's not coddling him, but she's also not like haranguing him. Like, she's just a pretty chill character, which you, everybody else was kind of dialed up to 11. So it was kind of nice that Roz, they, I think they were probably going, we don't know where we want to go with Roz yet. So we're going to make her pretty basic in the pilot but it was kind of refreshing to have a person who just acted like a person yeah exactly exactly they end of course uh with a credit sequence which i was waiting for there to be some kind of joke but it's just it's daphne fraser and the dad and eddie sitting on the couch watching tv and i'm waiting for there to be some kind of joke or something and then eddie puts his paw on fraser's leg like is that the punchline? And then that's the end of the show. I was like, yeah, I was, like, I was trying to remember, like, I know they used to do a little bit sometimes during the credits of sitcoms. And sometimes it would be there's no dialogue or anything. It just shows two of the characters like gluing back together a lamp that was broken during the episode or some little montage, a little vignette like that. Yeah. But I was like, Eddie puts his paw on Frasier. Is that, is that supposed to be funny? Well, for me, it was He's getting up in his business, I guess, is the joke. Yeah. For me, it was less about there being a gag and more about just kind of being like, and this is Frazier's new normal. Oh, good point. Yeah. He went from. That was more about what that was for me. I can see than that. Yeah. Being a specific gag. He went from the solitude that he loved of his apartment by himself. And now he's got two roommates yeah. and a dog. True. 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 Whimsical fuckery commence. <laughs> so. Now, let us move on to Cliffs and Ships. Cliffs and Ships. Predictions for the first season and uh, ships if we have any. Who do you think the big bad of season one's going to be? <laughs> right? Here's the thing. I don't I don't know that there's going to be. It's a, it's a sitcom. It's a true sitcom. I don't know that there's especially going to be. I, I don't know. I guess there's got to there's always got to be something that happens at the end of the season. Yeah. The doctor is going to show up and be like, you have stolen my TARDIS and parked it above Elliott Bay. How very dare you? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I can't even imagine, though, what it would be. Yeah. Like they I mean, we only had 23 minutes, so they only had time to establish the characters and the scenario. I, I don't I, whatever whatever the thing that is they're going to drum up at the end of season one to get people to stick around through the summer break. Yeah. I don't know. Dad has a health problem. Niles and his wife are getting a divorce. Oh, they must get a divorce at some point, though, because I know that I know because I've seen bits and pieces of it over the years that he and Daphne end up getting together, which is unimaginable at this point. Right. Well, I mean, maybe oh, maybe sorry, Maris alert. passes away. She is five years older than Niles. Right. Well, now I'm wondering, like, how long does Maris stick around? Because all I know is that Niles has a crush on Daphne for a really long time before oh. he actually, like, makes a move or something. Like, it's a long time before so he... So they are like the TV will-they-won't-they they couple of the show, or at least for part of it? Except I think it's I think it's more like... It's not that we're going to will, they won't, because they, usually that's kind of two-sided, where it's both people are into each other, but they don't want to admit it. Whereas this, I think it's like, he's like a puppy dog. It's like an unrequited crush thing. If oh. I remember things I've seen from little bits and pieces. Right. For some reason, you know, it's one of those things where at some point in your life, you're flipping around the channels and you stop and you watch 
five minutes of a sitcom, and for some reason that scene sticks in your head for the rest of your freaking life. Oh yeah, there's this. I remember seeing a scene of Frasier where Daphne is explaining a dream she had. Sorry, did you want to explain an example? Oh, I was gonna say there's there are three sequences from that show, The Nanny, that are like that for me. I've only watched three sequences of it my entire life, and they're all but it's same thing. It's weird that you should mention that because as soon as I finished Frasier, for some reason I got the theme song for The Nanny stuck in my head. I don't know why. I guess because they were both 90s sitcoms with sort of jazzy vocal uh, theme songs. Right. The Nanny's one was way better. I met the lady who sang the Nanny theme song one time in New York. Fun fun story. <laughs> cool story. And then I found 500 Kroner. Whoa, that's that's almost, that's enough for half a beer in Reykjavik. <laughs> so, uh, sorry, inside jokes, guys. That is our equivalent of then, of then I found $5. But yeah, the this scene from... Frasier that I remember seeing is Daphne is describing a dream she had where she dreams about her wedding and she's like yeah I was I dream I was wearing this beautiful white dress and my brothers were all there and they're wearing they were dressed up all in their suits I remember she uses the word natty why do I remember that tiny detail and then she's like and then I turned around and I saw the groom and Niles is like, and who was it? And he's like waiting. And he like, it's like he thinks he's maybe going to say, she's maybe going to say it was him. And she goes, oh, oh, no. Yeah. He goes, I think I know. Because she's telling him really earnestly about this dream. Right. And he's like, mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Tell me all about your dream. That I think I know where this is heading. And he goes, she says, and then I saw the groom. And he goes, and I think I knew who it was. And she goes, really? Well, I wish you'd tell me. And he's like, what? And he goes, she goes, well, I couldn't see his face in the dream. He kept looking the other direction. I couldn't tell who he was. And then for some reason, I'm like liver puddling now. But then Niles is all, oh, crestfallen because he thought she was confessing her love to him. <laughs> and she was like, what? No, I just had this dream. And then a, so a canned I, audience I, laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> what were we just actually talking about? So now I'm like, OK, well, so how long is Maris even around? Is Does he develop a crush on Daphne? while he's still married and it's like an issue or part of me kind of wants Maris to never actually appear on screen. I was just going to say that. <laughs> she probably does. And people are probably like, Oh, how dare you? Maris was a great character, but just like be this it would be really funny. Off screen Harridan. Yeah. Because they, they just talk about her and she doesn't appear in the episode, which fair enough. It was 23 minutes. They had a lot to do, Yeah, but I'm just imagining now that Maris is only ever mentioned off screen and like maybe one, they maybe they make a big deal of it. She's like Wilson from Home Improvement. One episode, you like see the side of her head or something. Yes, where like exactly. She's, she walks into a, she finally walks into a room in an episode and like people keep walking by with like potted plants or like carrying mirrors and paintings and things by and keep blocking her face. Yep. Like it'd be kind of delightful if she never actually appeared until the episode where she like, Oh, dumps Niles and says, we're through, Niles. I'm leaving you. I'm leaving you for someone with an actual Zen garden in the backyard, Niles. I'm leaving you for the gardener. I want to rake rocks. That's my that's my ship. I want Maris to never actually appear until uh, until she leaves Niles. And maybe that's what finally inspires him to to go for Daphne or something. Maybe he's been pining for Daphne this whole time, even though he was married. I don't know. I have no idea. It's hard to ship anybody because like that is one of the refreshing things about sort of the era from wh whence this came is that it doesn't that it didn't it, like the whole idea of shipping and everything like that like it just seems like they were willing to take more time 
on a lot of things about this. Like it was just like here's the here are these characters. Here are the the most important conflicts. You know, dad is blue collar, sons are upper crust. Dad's moving in, crazy new uh, housekeeper lady moving in. Mm-hmm. Dog is weird. Like these are the central conflicts of the show. We we don't get like romantic interests introduced. We don't get massive character histories explained. Like it's one of the things that made this pilot feel really tight and breezy is the fact that yeah. it's just like here are these people, here are basically who they are, here are yeah. some of the ways in which they'll bounce off each other, and we'll go from there. Like I, I feel like it was very refreshing compared to a lot of other pilots that you see nowadays where they're trying to immediately establish like the ground the True. grounds for the next five to ten seasons yeah. of mythology. Whereas this was just like we're here. I don't, I don't, I feel like I could watch another five episodes or another 30, but this one stands on its own. Like it has its own arc and its story sort of works internally very well. Which is fine. We don't. (laughs) But unfortunately there's less ships to be had. I really hope that Eddie appears on the radio show at some point. I feel like that needs to happen. I hope that uh, there is never any romantic tension between Roz and Fraser, which I'm sure does happen at some point because the nineties, but that's my hope. I hope that that doesn't happen. Maris never appears. Yes. Roz and Fraser just have a working relationship and there's never any tension. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that, uh, John Mahoney gets a girlfriend and she's sassy. Yes. And I hope that there is, uh, you know, I hope that they're able to defeat the big bad at the end of season five when, uh, Antimatter Frasier comes from the mirror universe and they have a big fight. And tries to steal the space needle. Exactly. And Frasier's like, no, my view. So they have like a bit, yeah. Carmen San Diego oh crossover. Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> no. The space needle is stolen. Like Frasier wakes up one morning, looks out the window. The space needle has been stolen. Huh, horror. But then, uh, it's revealed that it's actually like an eight foot tall model of the space needle outside of Fraser's window in like a little diorama. And (laughs) that he's not actually in an apartment with a crazy view. He's in like this weird basement warehouse where an apartment has been constructed. And that's why he is able to afford it. Oh yes. Okay. I love it. (laughs) Head cannon accepted. We always come up with at least one ridiculous head cannon. Oh my gosh. We did it. Netflix. Netflix. Please contact us regarding uh, spec scripts for the Frasier reboot. Yes. I think we got this on lock. Oh, Frasier, a year in the life. <laughs> we could do it. Oh, no, oh. we can't. John Mahoney just died. Oh. I'm sorry. I just brought everybody back down. Okay, moving on. I think it's time to move on to our final verdict. <laughs> final verdict, which is, did this pilot do the job of a pilot, and will you continue watching? I'm going to say no. Which is too bad because it's right there on Netflix. It'd be so easy. But I, yeah, uh, not really. Care to elaborate on that a little bit? Or is it just a, a no? I, uh, well, there's a couple of things I'm curious about, which is I want to know what the deal is with their mom uh, and what why this dichotomy between the, the, the sons and the father and why... Also, why do they have so much freaking money when their dad clearly does not? Like, I guess cops sometimes come from money and are still cops. But, like, generally, they're they're painting him so broadly as blue collar. It's like, what is the deal? 
And yet, I do not believe that the show would give me answers to those questions without watching all 11 seasons. And I do not like it that much. Well, you are in luck, my friend, because it's a yes from me. I am going to continue watching the show. All right, great. So you watch the first season. Yes. And we will do a catch up podcast where I will hopefully be able to uh, fill you in on some of those pilot missing details because that is excellent. I am surprised, very honestly surprised at how charmed I am by this television program. Like for years, for years, (laughs) the only uh, show I would let get away with a laugh track was Black Books. And this is nothing like that show. So this absolutely uh, blindsided me. I did not see this coming. And I'm very keen to at least give it a few more episodes. I don't know if I'll make it through a season, but it's it's definitely uh, like going to get a few more of my hours because I just it just feels nice. And it's a half hour sitcom, so it's less of a time commitment. Yeah. And it's something that. I, I've been looking for in media lately for myself is that, you know, because I'm more of a nerdy type human, I like things like, you know, the Marvel movies or a Star Trek's or something like that. Uh, but in all of these things, it's always like the fate of the universe. There's a bomb in the president. The galaxy will explode. The president <laughs> stole my wooden boat. You know, it's, it's always like the stakes are so huge in all popular media right now. Like it, it can't just be about like, will these two friends find common ground in this difficult situation? It's gotta be like, will these two friends find common ground before the, the ticking clock destroys the Ebola containment device? Yeah. I think there's still small stories. There definitely, I mean, especially sitcoms. Yeah. Like this is a sitcom. There definitely are still small stories, but I guess what I'm getting at is that I generally don't, expose myself to small stories because of the types of things I generally enjoy. So when I encounter a small story like this, it's very refreshing and exciting. Um, I know that there are, there are, there are many small stories available. Okay. Fair enough. But I, I just can't remember the last time I watched a, a TV show that didn't involve like violence or dead bodies or like the universe ending. Like, none of those things happen. (laughs) The biggest conflict to happen in the show is my dad isn't saying thank you, and I I low-key resent him for moving into my apartment. My ridiculously large apartment. Yeah, those are such small stakes. And yet I found myself incredibly deeply invested in them because of the honesty and reality that these actors, particularly John Mahoney and Kelsey Grammer, brought to these roles, and that's why I'm coming back. Good. That's it, right? We did we've we've we covered everything. Yeah, I guess that's that's I think we've I think <laughs> Enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is this? ID ten T All right, that was our episode. Thanks everybody for listening. Uh we will be recording another episode soon. We actually haven't laid down exactly what the show is going to be yet because it will be our 10th episode and we definitely want to do something a a little special for that one so maybe if we decide later we will drop the title in here (laughs) oh wow i'm so excited to watch that
Some people may be wondering, what are they talking about, episode 10? I thought Burn Notice was episode 9. We had a little numbering thing. We decided while we were still within our first 10, we wanted to change how we numbered things. So uh, the catch-up episodes are now considered bonus episodes. They're no longer numbered full episodes. Also, the little backdoor pilot we did for Strangely's podcast is no longer numbered. So that is why we are not yet at number 10, but we're getting there. If you uh, download the podcast from iTunes and you notice that all of a sudden the numbers didn't line up, if you're like me and you want things to look correct, you can just delete the podcast you've already listened to and, and re-download them. If you're like me and you hold on to podcasts you've already listened to, I may have just added myself as weirdly protective of how my <laughs> iTunes looks. <laughs> okay, moving on. We're excited to record our 10th episode because it will mean I am back in the Pacific Northwest yes. and we can do it in person as opposed to coordinating over Skype, which is what we've done for the last couple of episodes. Which gets us some nice isolated audio, but it uh, causes other problems. Plus, we just like hanging out. You guys are friends. Yeah, it's uh, it's so strange. I mean, there is the added bonus that when we record from different ends of a Skype call, I don't need to be wearing pants, which is just a comfort <laughs> thing. Strangely, you and I are close enough friends. You know you don't ever have to actually wear <laughs> pants around me. Excellent. I will pick out a kilt tomorrow. I've seen you in your drawers plenty of times. In my drawers. We have been on tour together. We have been camping together. Buddy, I've seen you without pants on. <laughs> uh uh, anyway, moving on. If you enjoy <laughs> awkward, unscripted moments like the one that just happened, we have a Buy Me a Coffee <laughs> account. Yeah, just go to buymeacoffee.com slash pilot house. It's a nice little website where you can just make a one-time donation in increments of $3 because ostensibly that's how much a cup of coffee costs. Come on, guys. Uh, these uh, Cafe Latte Supremas don't pay for themselves. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we got to keep caffeinated. It takes a lot of Cafe Latte Supremos to make a podcast. Okay, guys, I'm going to make a promise. I'm going to make a promise right now. The first person to donate... I'm going to say three coffees because we did set the amount as $3, but like there's not a lot of places in Seattle. You can still get a cup of coffee for $3. So if you donate the three coffees or you could donate one and somebody else could donate the next two or something, you know, when we get to three coffees on buymeacoffee.com, strangely and I, once he returns to Seattle, we will go to Alki Beach. We will find that bakery and we will both order Cafe Latte Supremos and we'll like, live stream it or something i made this promise without asking strangely i endorse your scheme oh good <laughs> so that's what's gonna happen so yeah buymeacoffee.com slash pilot house also you can follow us on instagram and twitter at pilot house pod you can go to pilothousepodcast.com if you want to go to a specific website for some weird reason if you'd like to email us you can email us at pilothousepodcast at gmail.com or let's be real just tweet at us it's a lot easier uh, we are always looking for recommendations of shows you think we should watch. Our requirement is that the show have at least two seasons. And obviously, we have to both have never seen it, but you can't know that. So just recommend some shows you'd like to hear us talk about that have at least two seasons, ideally more. And uh, we are always excited to take recommendations. Yes, please send us some recommendations. Uh, we're particularly interested in things pre-1990, as that is kind of a zone that neither of us were watching a lot of television uh you know i wasn't watching a lot of television in the 1970s so 
it'd be nice to get some recommendations. Extra bonus if you know it's available on Netflix is the preference. Or if it's on Hulu, that's also doable. If we have to buy it or, or Amazon Prime. Yeah, Amazon Prime is doable. It, if we can stream it somewhere, that really helps. But still, just recommend shows you'd like us to you'd like us to talk about. Because we want to know what you guys want to hear. And as always, we'd like to close the podcast this week with our signature goodbye, which we will attempt to do in sync over Skype. Okay, here we go. Bye! Bye! (laughs) I don't know how that actually sounded to you, but to me, I completely finished my bye before you even started yours. Oh, it sounded perfectly in sync on my Really? I said bye and then stopped and then you started. I was like, wow, that's pretty bad. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. All right. Just a super quick uh, addendum and correction section for this one, because good Lord, this episode is long. Uh, Item the first, Lupe Velez is a real person. And that is an absolute nonsense urban legend version of how she died. Uh, Sorry, Roz, you're totally wrong. She did commit suicide. She did uh, lay herself out in her bed in a beautiful nightgown because she wanted to be found in a beautiful way. Then that's where she was found. She was found in bed. Uh, The version of the story where she ate something that disagreed with her and she drowned in the toilet was published in some book that was full of lies. Nothing about the coroner's report or the police report supports that version of the story. But that's the version that's remembered and referenced in pop culture. So, sorry, Lupe, you wanted to be remembered, and you are, but for complete lie somebody else made up about you. Ain't that the way of being a woman in fucking Hollywood? Anyway, moving on. I am the second. Strangely would like to issue his most profound apologies for mixing up northern accents and west country accents. West country accents are the ones he was doing in the episode. They are the rednecks of England. Uh, Totally different from northern accents. He knows the difference and he apologizes for brain farting during the episode. I also apologize for not going, that, what? That's not what a northern accent sounds like because I've Watch shows. A lot of planets have a north. Uh, I've never been to the north in question, though, so I guess I just assumed he knew something I didn't. Ain't that always the way. So, uh, sorry, this episode is so long. That's it.